0: Reading from Romans 8. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn within a large family. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Or hardship? Or distress? Or persecution? Or famine? Or nakedness? Or peril? Or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What did I do... ...to cause this. God must be punishing me for some reason. There must be something I did. Suffering feels personal. It affects our lives and that which affects our lives we take personally. Of course, we take many things personally. There was a study done to show how preoccupied we can be with ourselves... They call it the spotlight effect. We tend to have an outsized view of our role in the world. The study had an involved, involved a, a subject come, and in his mind, he was there to take a survey. He arrived at the registration desk, and when he got there, they said, You're late. We need you to put this T-shirt on and go down the hall and take a survey. He started to take off his shirt, and they said, no, you just don't have time for that. Just put on this T-shirt, go down the hall, and take the survey. Now, the T-shirt was a Barry Manilow T-shirt, not one he might have worn himself to go to take a survey. With the T-shirt on over his clothes, he goes down the hall. It was full of people already busy taking the survey. He's given the materials, went to the desk, and began to fill it out. After a few minutes, they came up to him and said, I'm sorry, there's not going to be time for you to finish the survey. We need you to turn in your materials and, and leave. Frustrated, he got up and left the room. He went down the hall, back to the registration desk, turned in his materials. They said, we're sorry for the inconvenience. By the way, what would you say the percentage of people who uh, observed what you were wearing was? He said, do you see me? I'm wearing a Barry Manilow t-shirt on top of my regular clothes. I came in late. I'd say 100% of the people in that room witnessed what I wore. I said, thank you. We appreciate your time. Have a good day. Then the survey takers, who thought they were there for taking a survey, started to leave, and they would ask them, one by one, did you notice the guy who came in late, what he was wearing? Almost to a person they hadn't even noticed. They call that the spotlight effect. We tend to assume that when we walk into a place, whatever it is in our our minds, whatever it is that we are dealing with, we think everyone else must be keying in on. We have this large view of our role in the world. To the man, everyone saw what he was wearing. To the others, he was hardly noticeable. I think it would follow that if we have this great view of how we are perceived in the world, it would follow that we also tend to think our influence on what is happening in the world might be greater than it really is. We aren't the first to feel that way. We've been feeling that way ever since we emerged from the caves. If there was a, a lightning strike, we assumed way back when that the gods were upset with us. We got a little more sophisticated and we started to write down these laws and if there was a drought, we were sure that we had disobeyed the laws and if things were going well, we were sure that we had been obedient to the laws and there were plenty of scripture stories to tell us that was the case. When the Israelites were facing a battle and they had God's favor, they won battles they probably should not have won. And when they were out of God's favor, they lost battles they probably should have not lost. There's a hinge in the Bible that that starts to help us think a little bit differently than that definite cause and effect. relationship. The hinge doesn't necessarily overturn that previous way of thinking, but it just says maybe it's not so clear-cut. The book of Job does not dispute that we can cause our own demise, that we can make decisions that lead to terrible circumstances. There are consequences to our actions. It never questions that. What the book of Job does question is whether every time we face difficult circumstances, we are the reason we are facing difficult circumstances. In other words, when our lives become difficult, we aren't always definitively the ones to blame. Not every bad situation we face is our fault. Job, Ecclesiastes... Jesus all seem to confirm that. Again, they never claim that poor decisions don't lead to bad results, but they are willing to say that sometimes bad results come to people regardless of the decisions they make, regardless of the actions they take. The Lord sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Jesus said. Another time he asked, Those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? And then he answered his own question. No, I tell you. No, I tell you. It's not so easy to figure out. Financial challenges aren't always the result of loose living or ris- risky investments. Child rebellion isn't always because parents were too strict or too lenient. Accidents, disease, and death can't be reduced to who sinned, the one who was hurt, or his parents. We know that. You know that. But in the midst of anguish, sometimes we can't help but ask ourselves, what did I do to cause this? And whether we are brave enough to say it aloud or not, sometimes our question is followed by wondering, and when did God leave me? I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the pearly gate. Lines and checklists and people falling through clouds to a bad fate doesn't fit how I understand the way things will go after we die. I did smile the other day though thinking about all of those all of us getting Barry manilow t shirts as we made our way to the pearly gate. There wouldn't be a line, because that would spoil the surprise, but we would show up on a cloud and they'd hand out our Manilow t-shirt. We'd assume it was some kind of cruel early indication that our future, our eternity might not be so good. To add irony to insult, looks like we made it. <laughs> we will be playing in the background and, and we'd think to ourselves, looks like we didn't make it. We get to the pearly gates and we get on our ridiculous t-shirt. We pass through it and there we see everyone else inside the pearly gates wearing the same ridiculous t-shirt. Welcoming us to the great Copacabana in the sky. We find we sit down with those who are wearing that other, their ridiculous t shirts They're smiling and full of joy we start to talk and they tell us that they too once thought they were the, the only one. They, at some point, each of them were sure they were the only one who was stuck wearing that silly t-shirt. They were the only one everyone else was looking at with disdain. Only ones who felt that they had been abandoned by God. They all felt it at some point along the way, and the, the silly shirts reminded them now that they were not alone at all. They weren't alone in feeling abandoned, and they weren't alone at the times when they felt abandoned. We established last week that God is our Father. That does not mean that God is an older man. Let's be clear. God is not a man or a woman. This is about relationship. A loving relationship. Jesus called God Abba because it was an intimate term. Daddy. Daddies and mamas, they aren't perfect. They make mistakes. They do. Some do. All do. Parents are flawed, but enough parents have loved well enough that our closest model for understanding the love of God is when we watch parents with children. When we have been loved well by our parents, we have a sense that there really is nothing that can end their love for us. We can try their patience. We can make decisions that force them to use tough love. We can affect their expression of love. But we cannot make them stop loving us. For those of us who have children, we can't imagine not loving them. We can imagine a million things that would frustrate us. We can imagine having pulled more of our hair out or it turning a little bit gray We can imagine what it feels like to stay up late at night, stressed or worried or or bothered. We can hear Bill Cosby's voice in our inner ear saying, I brought you into this world, I can take you out of it. (laughs) We know those feelings, but we cannot imagine what it would be like to not love that child. It's not even a possibility. And we're flawed. So I'll end with this. If God is our Father, if Jesus' best description of God is Adam, Daddy, and if God is flawless where we are not, can we ever imagine that God would possibly leave us? That He'd actually abandon us? There's nothing we have done and nothing we could do that would cause that. You spoke of this last week in our act of phrase, Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I go from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There, if I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for the darkness is as light to you. God does not abandon us. No matter how dark things get. God will not leave us no matter how far we have gone from Him. And while God does not prevent every hardship that comes our way, in fact, oftentimes following Jesus more closely means more hardships will come our way. While God does not prevent them, that does not mean that God calls them. And anyway, however they came to be, our calls, someone else's calls, God's calls, however they came to be, God does not leave us to endure them alone. If you're making a list, and people sometimes like to do this sort of thing, if you're making a list of what God is against, What God says no to. I hope you'll add this. What can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus? Can hardship? No. Can distress? No. Can persecution? No. Can famine or peril or nakedness? Or sword, separate us from the love of Christ Jesus? No. What about death? No. What about the challenges of my life? No. What about angels or rulers? or these things going on in my life that you don't have a clue about? No. What about the things that are coming? No. What about the bad things? Choices I have made. No. 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 There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're making a list, put that on it. Thanks be to God. Amen.